Welcome to the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, where our gang of sci-fi fans will boldly go where few fans have gone before. Okay, not really, but we'll have fun discussing and interacting with our favorite shows and films from all over the sci-fi universe. We love Trek the most, but our love for Trek means we have a great appreciation for sci-fi in general. Join our panel of sci-fi fans from all over North America and beyond as we share our opinions and thoughts on this deep and incredibly diverse genre of storytelling. Our mission here at the Big Sci-Fi Podcast is to entertain and have fun, so you'll hear all types of views in a light and fun atmosphere. If you love sci-fi, this is the perfect space station for you to dock at. We invite you to come aboard and stay a while. You've got friends right here on the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. Welcome to episode 9 of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. Today we're talking about The Forbidden Planet, a classic film from the 1950s. And what you're hearing right now, ladies and gentlemen, is the so- opening soundtrack, the theme for Forbidden Planet. Tonalities, they called it, I believe, in the opening credits. Very fascinating and interesting and Before we get going here on this, uh, I really just want to give a quick synopsis, then we'll do our hellos and everything uh, for this film, and it is a fascinating classic sci-fi film, and here's what it's about, and then we'll jump in and say all of our hellos. In this sci-fi classic, a spacecraft travels to the distant planet Altair IV to discover the fate of a group of scientists sent there decades earlier When Commander John J. Adams, played by Leslie Nielsen, and his crew arrive, they discover only two people, Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pidgeon, and his daughter Altera and Francis, who was born on the remote planet. Soon Adams begins to uncover the mystery of what happened on Altair 4 and why Morbius and Altera are the sole survivors. Very mysterious. And without further ado, I would love to introduce... Our wonderful co-hosts of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. We are together again, lady and gentlemen. And uh, let's start with Adina. How are you this evening? I'm great. I'm Adina Mignona, science fiction author, engineer, just a general geek. (laughs) And Mr. Steve Merkin. I'm Steve Merkin. I'm a retired operations manager of a jewelry company. And I now spend my time donating uh, my efforts and volunteering at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Excellent. And last but not least, Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm good, thank you. And I'm, yeah, I'm Christian Fox. I uh, host a podcast called Yelling About Star Trek. Love sci-fi. I mediate uh, disputes during the day, and I'm a men's fashion enthusiast. Fantastic. My name is Brian Donahue, and I am a pastor, a church planner, musician, and aspiring author, and just thrilled to be a part of this fantastic podcast. And I'm excited for what we're going to talk about tonight. But first, let's see what's been going on with everybody. What's new? Anything new with you guys? Have you watched anything since last week of notes or general news in your lives that people might find fascinating? We watched anything besides Forbidden Planet. Right. Uh-huh. Yes. Good. Yeah. Good. Nothing science. <laughs> you know, this has been one of those weeks where it took me actually three evenings to get through Forbidden Planet. Um, so what did I do the rest of the time? Oh, I can't even remember. I had to watch something. 
right. card at all? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, oh my yes. Gosh, Epic, Picard. Picard's been out. So yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. But it feels like it's been so long. I'm like dying for the next new episode already. So oh, I think that's why I didn't think of that. It's just it's it's so good. I'm looking forward to like when we eventually get to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, me too. I mean, coming in the same boat, watched Picard. I feel like everything's been better. Like even the more recent episode Discovery, I have to say I liked more. So if they can if they can land this season, I'll be very pleased. But um, yeah, so that was good. Picard was amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Got it into Rebel season two, which I'm loving. So it's been fun on the sci-fi realm. Yeah. Or Friday, I, I should say. Yeah, I watched uh, Picard last Thursday. And I, I've, I've been saying this and I keep saying, four seasons of Discovery cannot even match the intensity of that episode. That had everything going for it and it just beautifully done beautifully acted that beautifully put together if that's the rest of the season of picard give me more 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 yeah. more well they're only gonna have they announced it's only gonna be three seasons right yeah sadly i wonder well, what I, spin-offs I, though they'll have off of this if there'll be if there'll be a Seven of Nine series, for instance, or maybe a Rikers Pizza Restaurant. <laughs> Rikers, I would eat at Rikers Pizzeria, and yeah. I would watch that oh, show. Pizzeria, that's yeah. a better I would watch that show. Well, I'm looking too. forward to Strange New Worlds, and I'm mm. wondering will because there was something online I read about where uh, John Billingsley, who played Flox in Enterprise, was asked if he would go on the show, and he re- he refused. He re- he decided against it because of the effort it took to put him in the makeup and all that. But that doesn't mean that uh, someone like the name of T'Pol, who would be old enough and live long enough as a Vulcan to appear on that show. So who knows? We might have some Ooh, surprises. Like that. Yeah, yeah, that would be, that would be very interesting. Or even if they do a little flashback stuff and maybe you'll get, you know, uh, Scott Bakula playing him, Archer as uh, a very old man, you know, that would be would, really cool. If they, but those are the surprises I'm looking forward to on that show. I, really I would go for that. that would be great. But also, too, I think uh, for me, like I enjoyed season two of Discovery, but what made that season was Anson Mount and the Enterprise. So mm-hmm. if we can get more of that, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you'll notice, again, in, in the last episode of Picard, when they're talking about time travel, what do they bring up? Oh, yeah, Kirk and Spock did it twice. They went back in time, flinging that around the so sun. Fun. Yeah, are we, like, are we getting in? Oh, I'm sorry. Are we getting sorry, into well, we just got to make sure we don't. Yeah, we're not spoiling yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> okay. then they know that there's something good coming out of it, okay? I've got a beef to, to pick about that after the show is over. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> Small thing. But... This past week, uh, I have been. I can't since we don't have video. I am reading oh, Crazy excellent. Foolish Yay. Robots, and Adina, it is a wonderful book. I'm going to do a little book report right now by saying that this is. I'm not. I've still only got about another thirty pages to go, and I'll be done. But this is a fun book written oh, that anyone can pick it up and read it. You you've kept it so that um, any young age can read it without fear of uh mom and dad going what are you reading and what's in there and oh my god what kind of language no 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 you should be reading this is a really great book that i would recommend to any young reader if they want to start reading because you've done a great job and 
producing this book. Yeah. So I didn't intend it to be young adult, but yeah, I, I just kind of wound up not having any adult themes or adult language. So it's, I call it, um, you know, YA accessible, meaning I mm -hmm. wrote it for just people like me, but uh, anyone could, yeah, could read it. My 11 year old could read it now. Mm -hmm. And this series, because so I'm, I'm very hard at work at book two, book two should mm -hmm. be out in like a month or so. Mm -hmm. And this series is going to still maintain that young, young adult accessibility. Not everything I write is young adult accessible. I've written things and I do plan on writing things where there might be an F-bomb because that's the way the character speaks and other, mm -hmm. you know, other stuff. But this series is intended to stay that way. And hopefully I'm, I'm keeping that whole same whimsical theme going throughout. Like that's my, uh, uh, my nervousness is that <laughs> just being able to keep it up throughout the whole series. <laughs> all, all I can say is when, as reading it and all the, the lifestyle on this distant planet, and again, not giving too much away because I want people to read the book. All I kept thinking about was the, um, the uh, uh, spacecraft from Wally. And all the robots mm -hmm. going in different directions on different routes and all these things happening. It's, it's, it's that way. Very yeah. interesting. So if, if you think of it, the robots in my book are, if you took Wally, R2-D2, BB-8, Big Hero 6, and all the other like fun-ish kind of robots you've ever seen in the last like 30 or 40 years, mushed them all together. <laughs> That's the robots that you got uh, on my planet. <laughs> and I, I love their names. And I just, you know, Swell Driver 587. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know what Swell Driver 586 is like. Is he there is no 586. Like? Oh, really? Oh. I thought the number meant like <laughs> there's that many built. Oh. Sort of. But that that's okay. a hint that uh, I think my plan is in book four to kind of for that all to come together. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's just a hint along the way. There is yeah. no 586. <laughs> okay <laughs> that's amazing though you're already kind of planning out thinking about book four and how the story progresses and where you're going to go yeah well it was mostly because that was really because when i started it i really started it as one book but then i realized it was going to be too long for one book but i didn't want it to be two or three it just so it just kind of when i chunked it up and then kind of fleshed out the whole overall arc it just worked out to be a trilogy in four, four parts <laughs> Mm, great. Cool. That's great. Like, like other books that we've, you know, now. But anyway. It's more interesting right. than Harry Potter. I'm going to say that for awesome. a fact right now. Hey, it is. look at that. It look is. That. It is. Because Man, it's grounded. The, uh -huh. the smile on Adina's face when you said that was pretty <laughs> it great. It really is. It's yes. high praise. Yeah. Like it is high compliment. praise. Yeah. It is. It is. Because it's more, it's more grounded in reality where Harry Potter is, again, you know, sword and sorcery, magicals mystical you can do anything you want with a with your magic wand but this is this is based on reality because of how computer programming and all that comes into play here it's very well done mm. it's really science really fun. <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is exactly right well, i'm so glad that you're enjoying it that makes me mm -hmm. very happy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. cool yeah. so good night everybody book. <laughs> grab that book there's there <laughs> adina's out <laughs> Drop the mic and yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah. You can find a link to her book actually on our podcast notes and how to find her blog and other stuff, which will hook you up with her and all the stuff she likes to write that she mentioned earlier too. Uh, I believe you can sign up for her her newsletter or mm -hmm. whatever. How how she gets keeps yep. people in the loop and sends out new material. Also, in our podcast link, you can find Christian Fox's. Uh, 
uh, podcast. I was going to say website, but it's a podcast yelling about Star Trek, which is a lot of fun. He's got some great topics and ways that he discusses different things and the ideas and theories he's had uh, is a lot of fun to listen to. Um, and you can check out my stuff on there, too, in the podcast notes if you care to. And uh, we've got a new uh, Facebook uh, group that Adina has set up for us. We're very grateful for that. And it already has 60-plus members in just about a week, a little over a week maybe. And mm-hmm. we would love for you to join that group and get involved in the conversation. Talk about what we're talking about. Give us suggestions and ideas for things we should be watching and talking about on the podcast. And just say hello every now and then and interact with each other and other sci-fi fans. It's already happening. It's really exciting to see. And that's just a great way to stay in touch and for us to interact with you guys and just have more fun talking about this great genre of storytelling. Um, So check that out. And I want to, as we dive into this film... Forbidden Planet. I just want to read something again um, that'll just give people a basic idea about the film and some interesting things. And then I know that my co-hosts here have uh, very interesting notes they've taken and facts they looked up to that I haven't heard them talk about yet. So hopefully I won't hit too many of what you guys but here is here is again from the ever reliable always true Wikipedia. Um, this is, this is what Wikipedia has to say about this phone. There's some interesting things here, um, as we dive into this thing. And I'm so excited guys to hear your thoughts on this, on this film. It was very fascinating to watch a new for the first time. And since I was maybe a 13, maybe so forbidden planet is a 1956 American science fiction film for Metro golden mayor. Produced by Nicholas Nafak, directed by Fred M. Wilcox, that stars Walter Pidgeon and Francis Leslie Nielsen. Shot in Eastman color and Cinemascope. It is considered one of the great (laughs) science fiction films of the 1950s. A precursor of contemporary science fiction cinema. The characters in isolated setting have been compared to those in William Shakespeare's The Tempest, and the plot contains certain uh, analogies of the pl- uh, 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 to the play, leading many to consider it a loose adaptation, which is interesting. I hadn't considered that while watching it. Forbidden Planet pioneered several aspects of science fiction cinema. It was the first science fiction film to depict humans traveling in a faster-than-light starship of their own creation, which is fascinating. It was also the first to be set entirely on another planet in interstellar space far away from Earth. I found that to be also fascinating. The Robbie the Robot character is one of the first film robots that was more than just a mechanical tin can on legs. Robbie displays a distinct personality and is an integral supporting character in the film. Outside science fiction, the film was groundbreaking as the first of any genre to use an entirely electronic musical score, which we sampled at the as at the intro here, courtesy of BB and Louis Baron. Forbidden Planet's effect team was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects at the 29th Academy Awards. 20 What are they on anymore? I don't even know which which happened this <laughs> In 2013, the picture was entered into the Library of Congress's National Film Registry, being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. 
Tony Magistral, and I have to look up who that is, describes it as one of the best examples of early techno horror. Interesting. Yes. Um, very interesting. And I can see why you could maybe call this type of horror film back in the day, at least. I don't know about now, but there's some aspects of it that are definitely frightening to think about. Um, so, And I know my daughter watched this with me, and she got all shaky for a second, and I had to remind Aww. her it's just a story. Yeah. Just a movie. But yes, the the monster from the of the id is... If you're a small child watching that movie for the first time like I was, that thing was frightening. It was scary. And and I, I part of my notes about what makes this movie so good was the effect of its walking and the earth giving way underneath its weight. So you're like, how big is this thing? And then as it walks up the steps into the spacecraft and this right. the, the, the steps are bending under its weight. You are thinking, oh, my God, this thing is absolutely monstrous. And then when, it re when, you, when you see it visualized, it's a child's nightmare come true. It really right, is. Yeah. So, nice. yes, I can believe that as a case. We were, we were snuggling quite well. Of course, I was <laughs> loving it, but making, trying to gauge if, she was, if I should make her leave the room or turn it off or something. But mm -hmm. um, I had to watch uh, it by myself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's. I've got some specific questions, which I think will lead us into talking more into a broader base about this film. Um, and we'll just go uh, one by one here. We'll just we'll, let's just go alphabetical for right now for our first round of this first question here, at least. So we'll see two things. We'll answer the question. We'll see who's really good at the alphabet. Okay. Um, uh, so here are the, here's the first question I'd like us to dive into, folks. Is Overall impressions, generally speaking, so it's kind of a redundant statement there, but what are your overall impressions about this generally? And had you seen or heard of this film before now? And we'll see who's good at the alphabet first. So I, I majored hey. in alphabet when I was All in right. kindergarten, so I'm, I'm an expert there. <laughs> Although that was a while ago. <laughs> right. I've absolutely had heard of the film before. Uh, you know, I think uh, Robbie the Robot is an iconic looking robot. We've all we've all seen it. And if you go to the Wikipedia page and the the, the movie poster, everyone, I'm sure everyone's seen it. I know I've seen it. I, I feel like it is an iconic poster representing science fiction films of that day. So absolutely it had heard of it. I am not sure, honestly, if I'd seen it before. I like to think if I had, I, I would have remembered, but you know, I've been noticing um that I have forgotten things I've seen and read, <laughs> especially things that were, you know, three or more decades ago. So I, I don't know. Um, so, well, the, so the good thing is when I was watching it over the weekend, it, it was for all intents and purposes new. I, I could, I could, you know, I don't, didn't remember seeing it before. So I'm going to assume I hadn't. And it's really hard to watch old films. And this is one of the reasons why I watched it by myself, because no one else in my house is willing to tolerate <laughs> old films. My, my wife would have watched five minutes of this, if that, and said, I'm out. Nope. Yep. Yep. Okay. That, that's my, that's my husband. Uh, you know, cause it really is a, is a very different time, different aesthetic. We've 
come so far in so many aspects of movie development that, um, yeah, so he just wouldn't waste his time. And then my 11 year old would also have some snarky things to say about, you know, it being, um, like not even old school, but whatever came before old school (laughs) and also would have been out. Oh, no, no, no. He would have sat there with me for another 20 minutes, making fun of it, um, before he, he was out too, uh, or before I kicked him out. (laughs) So, so that said though, I really think if you're, if, you're going to watch this today. You need to be doing it for a reason. You, you know, you need to be very purposely studying the genre. I can't see of another another good reason to 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 watch it. Now that said, if you are a fan of the genre and are just interested in the history and development, then you absolutely should. Yes, this was a groundbreaking movie, and. We'll probably mention this a few times. I, I'm going to, because I get to go first, I get to mention it first. Um, but this was one of Gene Roddenberry's inspirations for Star Trek. And it came out 10 years, you know, it was out in 1956. So, and given it was groundbreaking, it's it's not a stretch to even imagine. Well, of course, anything, you know, of course, Gene Roddenberry, probably like everyone saw the movie. So yes, it's going to be uh, inspirational. Now, th- I'm going to say one more thing and then I'll, I'll let, uh, I'll, we'll move on. To, to Chris, um, the one other thing I want to say is I was very distracted with Leslie Nielsen because I, even though I'm pretty sure I, well, I know I saw the Poseidon adventure years and years ago too, but when I see Leslie Nielsen, I think of airplane and I think of the naked gun. And so yeah. every like other minute, I'm like, okay, when is this going to turn into a comedy? When is he going to like, when is it going to turn into a comedy? When is it going to turn into a comedy? And I was so distracted with that. <laughs> Um, it, when when you watch it on uh, Prime Prime Video and they have a picture of Leslie Nielsen, it's him from right the the uh, police movie. Oh, yeah. yes, right. Every picture of him yes, is yes. is from like more recent time. You know his more recent works where we know him as a funny comedic actor. I mean, he was a serious actor before then, but we all know and remember him as a comedy guy. So I was very. It was just so weird to see him. It was just like I was distracted with that is the, the best way I could put it. <laughs> my my sister-in-law, um, Miriam, said that she was very surprised the first time she saw this film at how attractive he was in this film. I, I think he, he was probably a type of heartthrob or, you know, potential leading man back in the day. And I'm I'm not familiar with much of his early film work except for this film um but i just I, I think if you watch this film and see leslie nielsen this young and you've never seen him that that young you might go oh my goodness okay yeah he, yeah. yeah yeah he was yeah. definitely a, a good so let's see 1926 is when he was born and this was 50 so he was 30 Mm -hmm. Well, I actually would have put him a little bit older um, only because I think as a commander of the mission, he just commanded more respect. And I would have thought he was a little older, but I guess he was only 30. Mm -hmm. Good acting. Um, Good acting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, how about you? Yeah. So I have to say, I, so first I did see this a long time ago as a kid, but the only thing I remembered from that movie was uh, the Morbius. I shouldn't call him the Morbius, but Morbius (laughs) waving his hand over the, whatever that device was in closing the, the house, the with all the doors. I do remember mm-hmm. all that. The shutters. Um, the doors. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> so basically like I was seeing this for the first time and I had a lot of fun because it really did feel like Star Trek. It was almost like watching a brand new episode of Star Trek. And mm-hmm. it was, 
just like watching the the plot and just all the different elements and almost like just beat for beat it felt like a strike episode mm-hmm. as i said earlier like i was talking off air about it and it was just like right down to the end of the captain headlocking the main guy and moralizing and giving him a lesson on what uh, to do the right thing and what it means to do the right thing um so it was it was cool i also actually i forgot to say i did remember their transporter not a transporter but it seemed like they went into a transporter room that's what i thought that that was gonna be i was like wait a second i thought because in the book inside star trek inside trek inside star trek which was about written by the producers about all the things they had a whole big spiel on how how and why they invented quote unquote invented uh transport technology for star trek and it was really all about budget because they couldn't be in a shuttlecraft you know every every episode so i really thought that that so i was very confused for a minute thinking like wait a second did they not did star trek not invent the transporter (laughs) right it was just a way to avoid the time and space right Mm -hmm. Well, and the and the cost in the episode of having a scene, or you know, dealing with all the okay, they got to get from, you know from the ship to the planet, you know, every time. Oh yeah. Well, so, I'm I'm yeah. sorry, I'm talking. I wasn't clear. I'm I'm talking about in Forbidden Planet. Oh, 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 oh. They oh. went. It was like a form of stasis field, wasn't yes. it? Yes, right. As, it was. They, I think so. Yeah. As they were going from hyper, what they call it, hyper drive speed to sublight, because they end up traveling at a third the speed of light as they're getting close to the planet. That was a way of their bodies, I guess, transitioning from one type of speed to another. And it was a good effect. I mean, it, you know, it was kind of cool watching them all glowy and everything like, like the transporter from Star Trek, you know, it was, it was a good effect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I liked it a lot and I really enjoyed the, the effects in it because again, it wasn't, like it was very similar to Star Trek. It was before, but it was just fun mm-hmm. to see. Okay, how does their how do their weapons look? Um, mm-hmm. But I do have some questions. I guess we'll get into later for Adina. Yeah. But just about like when they're saying, "Oh yeah, we're using atomic energy or something." I'm like, "Does that ring true to like in terms of their weaponry?" And even the doctor was like, "Well, yeah. Well, no being can survive how whatever amount of energy they they use." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Oh, I gotta mm-hmm. ask Adina about that." I didn't pay much attention to those details. <laughs> well, I just, no, I, love that stuff. I mean, just because oh. it, it's just so, you know, it's whatever they extrapolated or used, you know, from based on knowledge from 70 years ago, it's a yeah. long, like, that's a long time ago. It was, you know, so much has happened that, so I don't even, I, I yeah, I, so I just glossed over those details mm-hmm. and if that, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay. No problem. <laughs> and then, yeah, the Leslie uh, Nielsen thing was, it was weird because yeah, he's a uh, naked gun for me. And I, and I'll say this on record that my favorite comedy of all time is naked gun two and a half. Say what you okay. will about that. Okay. Um, so that was a little bit strange. And then I had, I have to, this is a hair thing. I love noticing people's hair, but the idea that the captain and the rest of the crew, it's like they went through this horrible thing. People were dying, but yet his hair Still perfect right into the end. Yes, indeed. As a true commander's hair always is. Exactly. And at least in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> at least back in the fifties. Yeah. No, I you know, this 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 film, uh, just real briefly, I want to let Steve go. Um mm-hmm. is I guess I'm the worst at the alphabet, I'm sorry guys. Um That's okay. is is uh um just just it, watching it really made me nostalgic um, 
because I do remember watching it as a teenager. I have vastly different. I remember the monster. Uh, I remember the spaceship. I remember um, Walter Pigeon's character, Dr. Morbius, and his daughter. I remember the robot, of course. Um, I did not recall, though, the making, what did he make, whiskey or bourbon or what was Kentucky it? Oh, yeah, bourbon. it was bourbon, I think. Yeah. Kentucky bourbon. 60 that gallons. was hysterical. And all in the beautiful bottles, too. That was ridiculous, um, but really great fun. So go ahead, mm-hmm. Steve. So first off, me and the movie are the same age. So, uh, oh, really? Absolutely. Okay. Happy 1956. Oh, Thank you. Okay. <laughs> but, yep. Me and the movie are the same age. So we hopefully both have aged gracefully. <laughs> yes, you have, Steve. You have. But thank you very kindly. Uh, but for me, I watched this movie when I was a small kid. So I saw it in the early 60s when I was really getting into watching science fiction. Um, and the movie always just left a, a real impression upon me about a real science fiction film. And they they tried in the 50s to make real science fiction, but it didn't always come across. There's Destination Move, that Destination Moon that George Powell made that tried to show what it would really be like to flying to the moon and so on, but still, you know, funny uh, spacesuits that look like the Michelin Man and so on ended up being used in Robot Monster, but that's another thing. Um, but this movie, I just... I always loved it as a kid. It amazed me because of the scope of the science fiction that it showed. I mean, to me, when they go into the heart of the Krell machine, as a kid, I was just mesmerized by seeing this gigantic 20-mile complex and how they depict it. And then there's the scene where it's an overhead shot and you're looking down upon the three characters as they're walking along a passageway and you could just like, you're getting the scope of just how big it is. To me, that was just beautiful effects. Um, And Robbie the robot was one of those great characters in the film that just, you you loved him. He was comic relief, much like the ship's cook played by, um, what was that? That was Earl Holloman. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there was that mixture uh, in, in it and, Ultimately, Robbie became a famous icon in movies, so he's kind of like one of the stars of the film amongst the other actors. And I, I just, I've always loved it. I loved watching it again. I never get bored of it. It's always uh, an amazing uh, film. And, you know, it's important to watch these older movies because it's kind of like, would you uh, say, oh, I never want to watch I Love Lucy? But that was the basis of sitcom that ever from that point on went forward it's because of i love lucy or watching the honeymooners or things like that so it is important to watch these older films and just see where science fiction has progressed but does does everyone need to watch it <sighs> you know, see you i mean because you can appreciate both. the you know current stuff without knowing or having any idea where it came from i mean we don't want everyone to do that but no you know, it's kind of like my wife saying, is it black and white or color? Because black right. and white's too old. I don't want to watch right. it. That's ex- <laughs> right. That's exactly what I what I go through. But yeah. to me, it's like <laughs> it's like reading. You should not read. Oh, Shakespeare's old stuff. Forget it. We don't have to read that. That's where the basis. Oh, that's of, a good mm-hmm. argument right there. You know, that's a good argument. You know, but does everyone or, or, need to do it to appreciate? 
Well, that's why they make you read Shakespeare in school because <laughs> they say you will you will learn from the past. You know, you will learn. And you know, as a musician, Brian, classical music is where yeah. it's at. You know, it's all the basis of of music we we hear in films today. All that great movie music wouldn't happen if it wasn't for classical music. So yeah, I would say yeah, definitely. It's one of those things. I think Adina mentioned it. You just have to have the right mindset if you're brave enough. Give it a watch. It's. I think once you get past the visuals, I think you can enjoy it. And also, too, I was just curious um, about like the saucer. Was that the first? Like, when did the alien saucer become a thing that became into? It's like our time travel question, where it was like, well, mm-hmm. when was the first mention of time travel? <laughs> we can't really tell. <laughs> but I would just be curious to see if that belief in alien saucers, if that came from that movie, or if it was if that belief was around. That's a really good question. I'm Googling it. I want to know. Okay. This is the first time where a human spacecraft was in a saucer shape. It was always rocket shape. I mean, going all the way back to Buck Rogers in the 1930s, it was always looking like a missile. It was shaped that shape. So Mm -hmm. that's the interesting thing about this film is that they made it into a flying saucer. As Adina's checking on. Well, so it looks like uh, before that, again, not necessarily in films, but like the cover of books and stuff, there had been the flying saucer shape uh, back into like the 1930s and stuff even. Oh, okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. And then there's also Plan 9, which I don't know when that came up. I know they definitely had aliens. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 1960s was Plan 9. And that's. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was after Forbidden Planet. Yeah. yeah, Plan 9 had insta day and night between scenes right that that, that was my that. biggest memory of plan nine yeah is it day oh, really? is it night yeah you know you know stupid what? stupid humans <laughs> you know you know what um is as, as i've been listening to you guys express some general thoughts here overall about the film i i remember being as terrified of Robbie the robot's intro as he's as that dust cloud is moving oh, across yeah. the horizon. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you meet Robbie and oh, cool! Oh, what a cool robot, you know. And then you learn more about him, and he becomes a good guy in the story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but I remember being terrified of that. What is coming near them? And then the eerie tonalities that are throughout the whole film. And and if you look at, I was. Uh, looking at the soundtrack, quote unquote, it is there. They actually put out a soundtrack from that film of the tones uh, that the Barons wrote, and that just gives this film a uniqueness. I think, um, as far as the soundtrack goes and the feelings you get, um, and it's it's very, very sci-fi feely. Uh, feeling because of that and so i love that i love the uniqueness of that in this film i also think that the backgrounds used you know the big huge back back sets and drop drop drop, what i'm not saying it right but you know some of the artwork they used uh, the the mat work Mm -hmm. fantastic like you Mm -hmm. know of course we see right through it these days because of what we're used to in in current films but just like Steve was saying, I was really taken aback, much like I am when I watch Star Trek The Motion Picture. I can't believe they could pull it off that good 
for that time period. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's true for this film. Yeah, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that look at it and go, ah, if you, you know, like Chris, if you can get past the special effects, you know, being a little cheesy. Um, they were they were fantastic for their time, mm-hmm. um, and like especially the monster, you know that that I mean they borrowed a guy from Walt Disney I know to help with the effects on this too. That is correct. But uh, I I think because of that visually for this film, I think it's a stunning film for the time that it came out in, um, and and I love you know this. I think it's intriguing. The story is intriguing because there's this great mystery of why these are the two sole survivors on this planet. What is that about? And is it the is it the guy? Is it the girl? Is it Robbie? You know, is what is going on here that that they're hiding? I found to be very intriguing as I rewatched it um, last week. Sometimes, so I would argue that this this film is not for everyone, for sure. If you're a sci-fi fan and you want some more culture and history, I would say check it out. And if you don't like it, don't watch it. You know, if you're watching it, don't watch it. But I would say give it a shot at the very least um, if you're into that old time, you know, um, and see what you think. Because, I mean, there's a lot out there for us to watch as sci-fi fans, but to find something new to sink your teeth into is kind of fun too. Well, there was a trivia fact uh, when I was watching, it appeared that the movie, before it was released, was shown to audiences because they weren't certain how they would respond to the soundtrack, and the audiences loved it. And so they decided to keep it throughout the film rather than having a traditional musical soundtrack. So it did have an impression. I'm glad they did. Yeah. I'm glad they did. Mm-hmm. Now, let me let me let's break <clears throat> this down a little further here, okay? You guys ready for question number 2? Yes. yes. Go ahead. All right. Question number 2, which is really like five questions. I apologize, <laughs> but it's just, okay. um take whichever part of this you care to answer. Did you like the film? Hate it? Impartial? Would you recommend it to other sci-fi fans? And let's start with Chris this time. Okay, so yeah, I would say I liked it a lot. I actually regret not buying it because I rented it on YouTube and I didn't realize and I was like, oh yeah, it's five bucks to rent, ten bucks to own. I was thinking I'm probably not gonna watch it again, but now it's like, ah, I, I want to see it again. Like I keep thinking about it. Um, so I had a lot of fun. I would ask yourself, like, can you get through original like classic trek? If you can deal with classic trek and if you have fun with classic trek check out the movie because it really is like a precursor in a lot of ways. It feels like watching a hidden episode of, of the original series. Um, so yeah, I loved it. I would maybe give it a four out of five for me if we have to rate it because overall story was good. The special effects were great for the time. I liked a lot of it. I wouldn't dock points for <laughs> some of the sexism, which we may or may not get into. Oh yeah. We're going there. Okay. Okay. But but with grace, knowing the time period and what right uh, exactly it's, of course it's, like... it's, it's and and like Adina Adina's giggling the the you know we have to remember it's just a movie right <laughs> it's just a movie before. and we we all know what movies were like in the 1950s <laughs> yeah. you know movie so 
It's hard for us to watch in our modern woke times. Um, right, even exactly. before, and even before, I, I would say I I had definitely cringed at, the, at certain you know sexism things I'd ne- noticed in films before. I you know even when I was a lot younger, right. and this film is the embodiment of all those problems. You know, so what I what I would say is the big difference between watching an old Trek. And watching this is on the bridge of the track uh, of, of Star Trek. You have, yes, you got a couple like white guys, but you've got an alien, you've got an Asian, you've got uh, you know a black woman. You know, like you have a right, little bit yeah. more of a mix. And even though, yes, uh, Kirk likes to, you know, had uh, there are some inappropriate things or insta love things, you know, happening with aliens. Um, this was like ten times more cringy. I don't Star Trek episode. I don't know. Remember that Captain Kirk ogled his yeoman quite a few times. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, go back to uh, the immunity syndrome. And he's ogling the yeoman as he's talking to McCoy. Yes. Okay. But the thing with the, uh, you know, but he at least knows her. And so he's probably like ogling her every day. Not that that's good, but in this, in <laughs> this move in forbidden planet, they met five minutes ago and they're already in love with each other. Right. Based yeah. on nothing. <laughs> yes. It's, it's the classic. It is the classic Titanic love story. Have that's I shared that with you guys? There is even, okay. There is there's, more there's... in Titanic. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's just, I remember my friends going, boy, it's the greatest love story ever. I'm like, they don't know each other. They're yeah. just fooling around the whole time. Yeah. Like they'd meet each other and fool around. And there so, was, but there was more this. for them to build on in Titanic than there. That is and true. I, I, that I agree. Is very true. That because there was a little true. bit of a backstory, especially Rose. You knew yeah. she was looking for an out with her situation. And, well, what do you do? You find, <laughs> find someone else to drag you away. With yeah. this, this was literally, we meet, boom. And it was just like, are are, are you kidding me? We haven't like, seen a woman in, in so long. In a year or something, ourselves. right? Right. Didn't even say that. Like we have, we've been at, we've been at hyper warp for a year and like our men haven't seen any women or something. Yeah. It's like, whoa. The, the okay. best the sure. best part of it was when the first guy kissed her. So it's so in Forbidden Flat at some point, the, the one guy from the ship kisses, kisses her, kisses. How do we pronounce it? Or to Altera? Jerry. Jerry is yeah, the Altera. And she doesn't react. Right. That was actually the, the, the best yes. where she's just kind of like, okay, you're kissing me. Okay. Am I supposed to feel something? <laughs> that, that actually was really awesome. I, I liked, I enjoyed that bit. Um, mm-hmm. But again, still falling for the captain after knowing him for 60 seconds. Um, I, I have a, a big problem with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Leslie Nielsen. I don't know. He's got yes, some... he good looking, but still <laughs> it's ridiculous. He was the star of the film, and so they're supposed to fall in love. It's the yeah. 1950s. <laughs> Again, like, right. We're making expect- allowances, yes, yes, because we know yes. the time period. So that's why you you, yeah. you you don't cringe. You go, okay, I understand right. why this is happening, because she has to fall in love with someone. It's so gonna it's going to be, gonna the, be captain. the captain of the, the captain, of course. As we <laughs> always saw skipper. in Star Trek, they always fell in love. Very, how many episodes did McCoy get the girl? How many episodes did Scotty get the girl? One, maybe two. Yeah, and so Spock, McCoy got one. 
Yeah. So I think so. It's always the captain. That's the way movies are. If, if you want to know more about McCoy's time. love life, Shadows on the Sun by Michael Jan Friedman, the novel. Great history of McCoy's married life. Oh, there that'd be go. cool. So the problem is not that it was the captain. That's not the problem. It's okay. the problem that she had to fall in love with anyone after right, 60 yeah, seconds. Like... <laughs> that's the problem. Well, like, that's that sets up later yeah. on where she has to choose between daddy yeah. or the captain. Yeah. And yeah. then that drives in where that makes daddy angry and daddy calls on his pet monster and he would even destroy his own daughter to prevent her from going, leaving the planet and going off with the good guys. So it's all building up to that point. I would just love like a, I would love a like, not, even, not necessarily a sequel, but just like, a, hey, here's what happened when they got back to Earth. It was like, oh, well, that was fun. All right. Well, we don't have much in common. And then she just pieces out to be like, oh, yeah, we didn't really. <laughs> connect. You're saying she just used him? Ah. Oh. I think they were using each other. She's like, she wants off, you know, and they're not. Uh, okay. Yeah. What do they really, what do they know about each other? Okay. Well, you look good and great. Right. Well, the great. same, the same thing as we talked recently, um, briefly, Steve and I reminisced about West side story in, in one of our, uh, uh, Oh, right. Yeah. Recent podcasts. And that story is the same way. Um, but I accept that story more. Um, because there's a lot of backstory for both characters, and mm -hmm. they're looking for something, and they find their something. And even though that you know everything happens very quickly in that story, um, that you know, ultimately, I mean, which is obviously a modern day Romeo and Juliet. But um, in that instance, I accept that mm -hmm. that they f can fall in love so quickly. But it's because of the backstory; they're both searching, they're both longing. We get none of that from right. these characters, right? Because whatsoever. this is like and, because what? Oh, sorry. Oh, I just go ahead. I'm I'm done. I, I was going to say yeah, because West Side Story is just it's about like that is the point of the movie, or like that is the point of it. Whereas Forbidden Planet, it's like about the mystery. You've got aliens, people exploring the galaxy. Oh, by the way, oh, let's throw in a love interest. Yeah, yeah. and so we'll have some dialogue there. So here's my question: mm -hmm. If this movie was going to get remade today. How, they obviously have to change that. That would not work in a movie today. Right. So how would they change? What 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 will work? What would work in a movie today? A similar. I've been talking about James Bond off of off air, but like even <laughs> watching Spectre, which was 2015, there's some oof, cringy stuff that happens. Where it's like, how do they get away with it? So I think James Bond movies specifically get away with it because they're James Bond movies, and that's part right. of their okay. shtick. So right. being part of a shtick is, is, is I was going to say, it's a little bit different. Like even think that's of the, the parody True. James Bond movies, the Austin Powers movies, mm -hmm. it's a shtick. So, mm -hmm. so that's okay. This was not a shtick. This was just the way they did it. So if right. they were going to remake it today. Okay. So you have a crew, they're going off to some planet because they got to find what happened to this other crew. They mm -hmm. get there. So, okay. Behind the scenes, we know that there is like some ancient civilization. Okay. So we, we know that that's building up to that. So, I mean, what do they need? I don't even think that they need a love interest at all. Just the fact that a crew is like, so the guy, so Morbius has lived there with his, it could be daughter, friend, parent. It could be anyone, just someone he is, he's been living alone with for 20 years. Their lives are basically perfect. So another ship comes along and it's going to just destroy what they have as a life. 
there doesn't need right. to be any love interest or anything there. Right. Just who wants their life destroyed? I think it I just would think be it... fascinating too. Sorry, Chris, that that you know, if I was writing this today, and no one has asked me for my opinion or if I would write this today. <laughs> Sorry, but Brian, I'm asking for your, your opinion. opinion. Okay, Brian, you're so writing this for today. I'm writing yes. this for today. Cool, totally for f volunteer basis too. I think so. Mm -hmm. um, but we're we're rewriting this. I think it would be totally fascinating. I think it's okay to have one of the crewmen perhaps think that this gal is very attractive, be enamored with her, have an infatuation, maybe even a little bit of playing back and forth there. But I think it would be fascinating that what Dr. Morbius is hiding is actually that the daughter is the monster. I actually considered that something like that at some point. I, I thought that there could be an interesting twist because, and one of the reasons is he said that like him and the wife got married. I, I know it, it was like, it, I was very confused married for a minute. on the mission, on the flight over. Right. And she died shortly after. So I was confused. Like, so wait a second. So they, cause they didn't exactly say it, but they're implying that she died like a minute after the daughter was born um, or like it was a little bit weird. Uh, so I was almost expecting them to be like, she's not a real daughter. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was thinking that too. Well, then you could have had it where she, she's an, she's an artificial creature. She's an artificial. He was, you know, he built her because he had like Robbie, right. But because, more advanced mm -hmm. or she is an alien, you know, no. that, he, but I like your idea. No, if, if Morbius first built Roby, Robbie, excuse me, mm -hmm. And then realize I'm alone. It's just me and Robbie. I need a companion. And he goes and finds the technology that maybe the Krell had to create artificial life forms that he makes her, which is why he is so extremely old and she's so very young. Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, that's if you want to do it to a modern thing where you don't have the love story, but yeah. then she finds out from them what there is more to life than just this planet. And they want she wants to go and leave him. Yeah, just has nothing, no love story, yeah. just just yeah. wants to leave. Yeah, right. And he doesn't want her to go because she, one, he knows she's not human. Two, he just again, their lives are perfectly fine. Does just doesn't want their lives to change, you know. So I don't think you need the love story. In a modern version of this, you do not need any love story for no, this I to don't work. Think so yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's just that, yeah, she's wants to just wants to leave the planet because she wants to see other places and experience other things. So it's like, yeah, she just wants to go with them because they're go back ride. to earth. Yeah. Go back to earth. So in, in star Wars, a new hope, they have to have what seems like a love story or something right. going on between <laughs> Luke and Leia. And then you find out he's kissed his sister, you know, and he's in, wait a minute, wait, he doesn't know it's his sister. And then he finds out later it is. That's kind of creepy. And then you and find out that George, man knew about that ahead of time that he had those things planned out yeah, yeah but it's it's, he it's minor he i would say because he knew that right, right. and okay. i would say yeah. it's, it's that's a very minor thing because there really isn't there, there really isn't a love interest there it's just oh really a, and on know. the Millennium falcon when when luke turns to han and says so do you think a girl like her and a guy like me and he goes no because he's interested in her. But right. I would say, again, a little bit barely interested is not the same as actually a love interest. It's just mm. a little. Yeah. Eh. Plus, yeah. plus, let's say, let's say, let's say Luke knew 
Leia was a sister at that point. So I'm going to go back to my favorite part of Friends, which is when one, like, so Chandler kisses one of Joey's sisters and Joey's mad at him for 10 years because you don't do that with your friend's oh, sister. And yeah. then, yeah, when first like Chandler and Monica are dating and Ross finds out and he's upset because my sister, get off my sister. So that could simply be Luke being like, hey, uh, my sister and a guy like you. Heck no. Heck to the no. <laughs> but he doesn't know that's his so. sister at the time. So he claims he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm just, I, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but it's <laughs> just, it. you know, but even so going back to, there's always been it, 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 one of my favorite episodes of the outer limits is devil with the glass hand, demon with the glass hand. And in it, Consuela falls in love with the robot and they just meet. But even there's a line, she just, she just, I just, I just met you, but I'm falling in love with you because the, uh, during that time, love stories were so integral and part. It's as much as in the 30s, it was always expected that every actor had to sing and dance because that's what was expected of them. You know, so it, it give it a little slack, you know. Yes, you, give it for, for the time. It's just, but if it was today, if it was a new thing today, no, you know. <laughs> I also wonder if you get away with just having an alien saucer is, or just not an alien saucer, but having it be a saucer. Like, would that, would that work today? I think that would be fun today, you know, yeah. in a way that's different kind of because we, we do so many ships that are not saucer like. So if all of a sudden you had a new movie today coming out and humans a couple hundred years ago have decided to embrace the saucer, I think that would be kind of fun. Yeah, I, I would love a Forbidden Planet series <laughs> if that would ever be a thing, because I want to know what happens after. Well, remember. I'm sorry, but in the 1960s, the TV show Lost in Space, the Jupiter 2 was a saucer. That's right. And much like the movie, it just like the TV show Lost in Space, the dimensions of the spacecraft in this film doesn't seem to match the interior space that they show. <laughs> it's just like uh, the scale is kind of off. And even when this was, as it says in the notes, they use that particular spacecraft in seven episodes of the Twilight Zone. Again, oh. always the scope of the interior did not meet the scope of the outside of the ship. And that was the same thing on it's the like Jupiter 2. In <laughs> well, I was going to oh. say, like, yeah. <laughs> hey, they, that's different. Okay, that's a specific <laughs> reason. The TARDIS is a, a, a police box and inside it's another dimension. But again, the same thing in Lost in Space in the 60s. The Jupiter 2 was much too small to have everything they had on the interior. But, you know, so anyway, that's that's one of the that's one of the things I don't like about this movie is that the scope of it just doesn't. Yeah. Quite fit. Yeah. Well, well, I, I have to say overall, as a sci fi fan, I would recommend this to other sci fi fans. I don't know if this is a film I'm going to talk about to people that could care less about the genre that just want to be entertained. This is not that film because it does kind of get a little bit deep at the end, uh, talking about the monster of the id, um, and um, that it's that it's this this Doctor Morbius's subconscious that he created this, and it's a reflection of his attitude and in, in everything, and he just he's let it get out of control, and so henceforth he's 
you know, just this monster himself deep down mm-hmm. on the inside, which is fascinating because they really played up. And I think he portrays himself as this incredibly um, intelligent, cultured, calm demeanor of a man. And I know mm-hmm. he was enhanced through the Krell's technology, um, uh, which was interesting. And, and I, I agree with Steve, them going down into the belly of this thing fascinating there there were some shots special effects was like how did they even do that back then just beautiful just bad, a bad artwork mad monumental painting. achievement yeah monumental achievement as far as visually goes for the time but i have i have to say I enjoyed the film as a sci-fi film but if i was not a sci-fi fan yeah it's, this is one i'm taking a nap through probably on a saturday <laughs> afternoon yeah. i i can I, I, you know something? You want to talk taking naps? I'm sorry to say it, but 2001, yes. portions of that movie <laughs> where I'm slapping myself to stay awake. Okay, come on, come on. Is this slow motion, or are we just trying to pad the film? No, right. I do have to <laughs> say, you, you are, you guys are talking to a guy who is fully capable of falling asleep during the Super Bowl or any football game that's on TV. I love football, but. I can fall asleep, even though there's action going on all the time. I can mm-hmm. fall asleep, so mm-hmm. may not be. But I just say that tongue in cheek uh, about falling asleep. But um, let's move on to uh, sure. two things, and I'm actually going to answer this first. I've let you guys talk yeah, a lot ahead. today, okay. um, so <laughs> I've been sitting back. You can set the tone. <laughs> go ahead. I've been seeing because I want to make sure I mention something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, what's the best and worst thing about this film? Okay. So when I think about the best thing, I am grateful for a film like this that set the stage or helped set the bar high for others to come behind it um, to go even farther with it. To make, I mean, this film was, I read, the first of its kind um, in that it was the first time Hollywood really put a good budget and took seriously the genre of sci-fi. It had been in television, it had been in you know, B movies, um, and you know, a lot of, I mean, I've got a, uh, magazine here called thrilling wonder stories that I, I'm going to get more of. I just learned recently, which I'm really excited about. It's got an Arthur C. Clarke, uh, little story in here, but, um, uh, you know, a lot of publications like that. I, I just love that it kind of helped pave the way for sci-fi to really be paid attention to to be done well mm-hmm. what i hate about this film what's the worst thing about this film we talked about the womanizing and how the men were just couldn't control themselves and yada yada falling in love right away and i wanted to like this character but i just felt like it was just a terrible throw into this film and story i hated the cook in this film. <laughs> I, I, the I was just relief. like, come on, the hat. Everyone else has these super futuristic outfits on. The poor guy is still the cook on a World War II ship out at sea with his white cap and his white cape. And, and the actor uh, that is a great comedic actor. That guy was in a lot of films. I remember yep. him in, in a lot of films back in the day that I've watched in, in great comedic actor. He did great for his role. Um, there were some cute things. Sure. Like, like wanting Robbie when he finds out Robbie can make old Kentucky bourbon, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's some, it's, it's cute, but I was just like, eh, someone, sh- eh, I don't know. That's, that's yeah. what I, 
That's what I didn't like about the film. I thought it was weird that he was on the, like, I I can see when you think about it, it's like, okay, they landed. Of course he's going to investigate, but I couldn't help but feel like it's like Captain Kirk bringing down his security team and then let's bring down the cook <laughs> to go and investigate this alien planet. But yeah, yeah that, might that, as that well put the poor guy strange. in a red shirt. That's Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, again, I've already talked about what I loved about the movie is the scope of it. The, yeah. the, the monumental size of it. And, and, you know, you talk about how future things are influenced. The education machine that appeared in this that Morbius used and also the Second Command uses reminded when I was watching Star Trek as a kid in, and uh, during the episode Spock's Brain, when exactly. Dr. McCoy gets the uh, device that in, raises intelligence, I'm going, aha, where have I seen that before? Oh, yes, <laughs> Forbidden Planet. And then there was another very interesting thing, which I didn't know until I'm listening to the film carefully and actually had the subtitles. They talked about the metal that the Krell used, and it was antimentine. And all I could think about when I heard that, I'm going, wait a minute, isn't that the name of the metal used for Wolverine's internal structure? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I thought I misheard that too. Yeah, Yeah, going, okay, there's a little influence right there, a little (laughs) uh, nod to the movie. So it did influence people. Uh, That film did influence, you know, other people. But yes, and the things I disliked about it, yes, the love story really wasn't needed, you know, but they've got to have it in there. So it's kind of dopey, you know, and that's just, you know, what what has to happen and i, I hated uh, the cook more than that I... really oh <laughs> I, I the cook's like again it, it, there's got to be comedy relief in it and that's the guy right even sure. but even robbie right. is right alongside of him playing playing the comedy so uh it's you know there there are just yeah the the love stories like really wasn't needed but uh otherwise you know i i there's too much there's so much more to love about this movie than to find problems with it Let's put it that way. Very good. Chris, how about you? Yeah, so I'd say favorite thing. So special effects were up there, but for me, it was the world building. Like just them establishing that Earth is now able to basically send off ships that can go faster Mm -hmm. than light. I love that it felt like, okay, this could be a series. Like you've got your... You've got your weapons and you've got all the technology, which sounds really cool, which I feel like they could expand on. My least favorite thing, taking out the womanizing, which that was really hard to get through, was the end for me. It was just like, okay, we came, we saw, all right, we're piecing out. And I just naturally want more. I want to know what does what do they do in their everyday? What is their like what does Earth feel like in this time? What would happen? What are other spaceships like? So I just want more of uh more of it really. Mm-hmm. Cool. So the so the film did enough for you that you were intrigued and so man, what could be some backstories? What what are possible? Yeah, that's cool. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Steve brought up uh, Spock's brain, but it, which is actually great for the teacher for the education or educators, they called it. But it's also had uh, shades of uh, let me see if I can say it right. Requiem from Methuselah, which is like the third season TOS episode where they meet Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci. Or someone who was Leonardo da Vinci feels a lot like that episode. Hmm, interesting. Very interesting okay. to me. Okay. Dina, how about you? So I think you guys all covered what I would consider the best and the, and, and the worst already. Because, um, yeah, I don't think I 
disagree or have any unique, really good or really bad things that we hadn't already covered. The only thing I want to say is I do agree with Chris's, like, I, I would love more, you know, to know more of what's going on. And Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page for Forbidden Planet does talk about a novelization that was, that was, uh, created and released shortly before the film was released. And it goes into a lot more of the backstory of the vanished Krell and Morbius' oh. relationship with them. And it's all these oh. things. I'm like, I'm actually, I want to find a copy of that book and read that book. That's that so that's very you know, what I want to do. Yeah. And also, because one couple, there's like so many uh, unanswered questions. I didn't completely understand um, the daughter's relationship with the animals that, like oh, was yeah. weird and Thank didn't make you. a lot of sense. Thank so you. I want more. Yeah. So I, right. There's more. And it could be like, often we know in times there'll be like scenes that get cut out from movies on the editing floor. And, and I, I like to think that there's probably something that explained a little bit more about that, but yeah. So I want to, I want to hunt they down this novel. They couldn't cut it out all the way because they had a contract with the animal trainer. They had to have the tiger in there, and the deer <laughs> okay. in there for at least a scene or two. Well, they do mention that one point that is, you know, the Krell went to Earth at one time, you know, millions of years, thousands and thousands of years ago. Oh, did and they, they brought really? back these. Yes, they well, do. That explains back how these animals. Why that explained why they were there, why Earth animals were on the planet. It didn't explain why she had some kind of weird power over them to that. Yeah, I thought it was because she had like an alien device, like that whistle. Thing. No, basically, like See, I thought that the no? whistle was like a dog whistle, like it was nothing yep. more than a dog whistle. Yeah, you know, it was almost like you had to have a Snow White bit where she, you know, calls the animals uh -huh. and they come to Snow White because that's who she is. <laughs> She's kind of like that perfect, perfect girl who could be that way. But also, to me, it was like, okay, so if the Krell brought these creatures back to their planet and they've been gone for two thousand centuries. How did they survive? Well, how many creatures did they bring? I mean, did they yeah. did they really do yeah. bring two by two? Were they like you the got Noah's a monkey, kind of you thing? got yeah. a you got a tiger, and you've got Bambi, and that's about right. it. You all get to see. So, on, and on a desolate world like that, how would they yeah. have survived? There yeah. were a lot of unanswered questions like that. Yeah. That um, I would mm -hmm. love to. I'd like to think in a novel, but again, given the novel was also written in the 1950s, you have to put the 1950s lens filter. <laughs> on that too right, exactly. but maybe if there is more of the world building at least and that might overcome i'd like to think that that will overcome any other mm. 1950s deficiencies yeah yeah this is a really random irrelevant thing to the plot but i just want to know where they got the carpeting from like was the carpeting did they bring the carpeting when <laughs> they landed or did robbie manufacture because i'm like i don't buy that you can go to a barren planet and basically make a house, but also have perfect carpeting. So I just don't feel like that would be included in the supplies. Replicator technology. And apparently Robbie can replicate like any, if he can replicate food, why can't he replicate anything else? Anything can come out of Belly's torso area. That's. <laughs> I was trying to figure that out too. It's like, well, he can make anything, but like, isn't there a size limit based on how big he is? Like if he's building furniture, you'd have to, I guess it'd be well, piece by and, piece. And you're talking about arms that could only be straight and go up and down a little you know right. like oh, yeah come on. yes you know yeah, but he was fantastic that. though i'm not knocking on robbie robbie no, no. can't help it it's the way they could build him oh like, yeah for he, sure he's One got of little t-rex arms he's got little right. t-rex arms you know? you know what you know what uh, so so 
uh, Adina will let us know how that novel turns out. I'm going to find um, it. And if she doesn't find it, it might be her fifth or sixth book down the road. She might she might decide to write that for us all. Um, so there you go. There's an idea for you, Adina. And also, do we know why the cover for like the why the movie poster had um, I can't think of his name in a red uniform when they were all gray? Was that just to look? more attractive to the they also had a movie poster where robbie's holding um alta in his arms and she's all dreamed over like it almost made him like he was the monster in the in the movie and that's not really the case so you know they they often will dramatize in the movie posters to sell the film and then you walk in the street and go well that's not in the movie what happened you know that's not there (laughs) there's some of those old movie posters though I've got a couple magnets, one for uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, which is one of my favorite uh, Hitchcock films Ooh, to this I day. Can't. And then um, if you haven't seen that, Chris. I, I can't at, deal with that. that oh, just, okay. The idea terrifies me. I'm like, it is no, pretty terrifying, uh, but it's also hysterical now to watch. Okay. But it's But it's classic Hitchcock. And then also I have one for The African Queen, which oh, is yeah. one of my all-time favorite films. Mm-hmm saw it in an old time movie theater with my dad years ago and i just think it's it's a different kind of humphrey bogart film too but those old classic movie posters were just about color and pizzazz and mm-hmm. um over the top with how they depicted each characters um all the characters in the film so to me it's not surprising you know, i see that image of robbie holding the women and francis's character in in his arms and we don't really see that in the film do we no nope. uh, no no it's a, it's actually nope. the it's actually the first officer or something he picks up yeah. and mm-hmm. moves around but yeah. uh anyways just just marketing ploy nothing but marketing ploys to get people mm-hmm. into the theater and you know what can we really blame them no no. One other thing I just want to mention is one of my favorite lines in this film, and I've used it for years, is when Walter Pigeon lowers his head and goes, my poor Krell. It is something I've said <laughs> whenever something is like so pathetic and sad. It is uh-huh. my poor <laughs> Well, uh, so let's let's wrap up with this. If you had to rate this film on a scale of one stars being the worst, four stars being the best, what would you rate it? And let's go alphabetical, Adina. I hate rating movies. <laughs> okay. Well, you well, can pass. I'm not going to force well, you well, to. But again, it, it's you know let's for let's what say it is the, for oh, what it is. But it dep- I think it depends on for the audience, right? Mm-hmm. For the general audience, this is like a a, a two star. Yeah. Yeah. But for the science fiction fan who is interested in exploring and understanding the genre, this is a five-star movie. And because I look at it as if someone is seeing that rating, if they're going to decide should they watch it or not. So yes, if you're the, like I said, the science fiction fan who's wants to really understand and get a hand on the whole genre, this is a must watch. It's a five. So watch it. But if, if that's not you, then this is, this is, it is a, like a two. I hate to say it. It's, it's okay. I hate to. Oh, it's just it makes me sad. And I'm buying the book from eBay, by the way, while we're we're talking. Oh my, <laughs> oh my goodness. goodness, that is. I you am have... multitasking. I that must have this book. Wow. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> just have to remember my eBay password. Right, Chris. How about you? 
I guess so. I originally was saying four to five. So if we're doing the four scale, I guess it would have to be 3.5 maybe because I, I liked it a lot. I mean, granted, there were some some of the sexism things. I would have liked more wrap up. But uh, overall, I enjoyed the movie for what it was. And uh, if you're listening to this and if you do decide to watch it, please let me know how you liked it. And also, I just want to know, how did the blasters compare to phasers in terms of sheer power? Mm, okay. I, I want that okay. breakdown. Someone do it, please. Cool. cool. And Steve. Well, you know, I can't give it a four because nothing should be a four. There's always going to be a problem with any movie we watch or any TV show we see. So I'm going to call it 3.7. Okay. Okay. But really, and again, you have to think about that when the movie came out and how it must have left people, their jaws dropped when they saw it. So for them, this probably was the greatest science fiction film of its time. Again, it wasn't the greatest science fiction of the 50s is The Day of the Earth Stood Still. Right. That is the greatest mm. science fiction film of the mm. 50s. I haven't pulled this out at all, but amen, brother. I agree <laughs> with you with that assessment right there is mm -hmm. um, The Day the Earth Stood Still. But so you guys might be a little surprised at my rating here for this mm -hmm. film, okay? A lot of nostalgic, nostalgia behind this film as far as my memory of it. Watching it with fresh eyes, watching it as hopefully a much more seasoned, um, experienced, and wise sci-fi fan. Uh, I, and, and again, I agree with everything that's been said here. Um, if you're a sci-fi fan... I would encourage you to check it out because it's history. It's interesting, and there are some things about this film that are that are kind of cool to see. There's some neat ideas, some neat things. Um, but honestly, I can't rate this more than a 2.5. And I think Steve really hit it on the head for me. It is because of films like The Day the Earth Stood Still that even though this is, again, I appreciate the building blocks this put laid forth for other films to come. Um, but I still, I can't give it more than 2.5 after watching again. Fascinating film. Stuff, you know, stuff to sink your teeth into, to laugh at, to have fun at, to think about, um, to be surprised by, like we all were with different aspects of it. Um, and that's what makes it fun, though, too. Mm -hmm. You know, is it, a film can be 2.5, uh, like uh, perhaps our... Uh, Star Trek film or two, I'm still going to go back and watch that sucker because I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just because just mm -hmm. I don't rate it high doesn't mean I don't love it or I don't, you know, think, I just I, I just think that there are better specimens. Um, in, so I'm thinking that way, that compared to other films that came after a little bit. And I'm talking within a 20-year period, not in the last 20 years, but I, mm -hmm. I think that 2.5 for me. Um, okay is what i rate it all right so let's uh let's just do let's just do the round real quick here folks where can people find you what's going on uh as far as online with you how can people get in touch with you uh let's start with chris okay yeah so you can find my podcast yelling about star trek and all your favorite podcast devices or like podcast services rather um i'm also in the process of developing a website so i'll keep you posted on that and you can also hit me up on social media at yelling about Star Trek, yelling about Trek, because I could not get the full <laughs> thing on right. Twitter. 
Hey, you got great. Chris has got great content, though. Just a shout out to Chris. He's got some great content out there. Lots of fun stuff to sink your teeth into as a sci-fi fan and a Trek fan. Mr. Steve Merkin. Uh, you'll find me here because that's <laughs> I'm not as well uh, diversified as you <laughs> folks are and all these different things. So I am just I am just proud and happy to be here with you three folks and that I'm able to talk about this wonderful subject of science fiction. So if you want to find me, hey, why don't you just listen to these podcasts, okay? That's where you'll find me. Yep. And, and interact with Steve and all of us on our Facebook page. We'll probably post uh, some of Steve's articles, too, eventually on our Facebook page and maybe other places, too. But um, So stay tuned for that stuff. Adina. Well, the Facebook page, we have a Facebook group for the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. So you can interact with all of us there. And if you've seen Forbidden Planet, we would love to know what you think. Do you agree with our ratings or not? So the Facebook group, the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, which hopefully we'll have a, a link to that uh, right here also. And for me specifically, uh, you can get my book, Crazy Foolish Robots on Amazon and my website, adinamignona.com or adina.me. I blog about, well, today I blogged about math, but I blog about math and science and science fiction and all kinds of things. And I'm on Twitter too, at Adina. I just got my first name a long time ago. <laughs> but the Facebook group, really, just come to the Facebook group. That's where we want to talk to you. Yeah. And I'm Brian Donahue. Thank you guys for listening. You can We'll put all our stuff in the mm -hmm. podcast notes. Um, but it's, it's just been fun, um, to talk about Forbidden Planet. I gotta say it, I just can't help it. I gotta say Forbidden Planet. Um, channeling minor Steve Merkin there, oh, radio voice from That's uh, right. Podcast Pass. <laughs> hey, you guys have fun. Have fun as you watch sci-fi and, uh, have fun especially as you watch Star Trek this week. All right? All right. You guys take care. We'll catch you on episode 10 next week of the Big Sci-Fi podcast. Mm -hmm.